Well, welcome to uh, Sabbath School this morning. Before we get started, I'd like to uh, bow our heads for a word of prayer again. Our precious Heavenly Father, as we open the book of Acts, as we seek to learn the lessons that you have to teach us this morning, I pray that you will send your Holy Spirit here to guide us, that you will uh, be here in our midst, that you will teach us, and uh, I pray that uh, we may experience a deeper walk with you as a result of our study today. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Acts chapter 1. This is the first uh, lesson in a quarter on the book of Acts. Jim, you guys, uh, after going through it in prayer meeting, you should be well-versed in, in Acts. You know, the book of Acts is one of my favorite books of the Bible. I I love the dynamics and the excitement and enthusiasm that you see in the early Christian church uh, throughout the book of Acts. And uh, sometimes it's almost like, what are we doing wrong? You know, why uh, why is our church not like this today? And I think there are a lot of lessons that we can learn from chapter one in this introduction on uh, how we can have a more dynamic church. Uh, like they did, um, and maybe a few things that we are missing in our own personal lives uh, to uh, see that happen. Acts chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. I like this introduction because you find he's writing this specifically to a person named Theophilus. And it, it's interesting, you uh, mentioned Theophilus is also mentioned in the book of Luke, which gives us an idea that Luke was probably the writer of the book of Acts. But he's like, okay, the former account, which is the book of Luke, right? I already made on all the teachings of Jesus. And now this is part two, right? Now we're going to talk about what happened after Jesus' death on the cross and after his resurrection from the dead. But as we look at these three verses, how would you summarize the philosophy in these three verses? Acts 1, uh, verses 1 through 3, you find, first he says, I've already made an account about Jesus. But what does he say about Jesus? He went to heaven. What else? Gave instruction. Anybody else? So let me ask you a question. Did Luke believe in Jesus? Do you get the idea just from these three verses? What did he believe about Jesus? I mean, we, if we read the book of Luke, we're going to know a lot. But just from these three verses, what do you get? How did he feel about Jesus? He was the Messiah. He was alive. He'd gone to heaven. What else was he? He was raised from the dead. What did that have to do with Luke, personally? He witnessed it. He was his Savior, his Redeemer. Thank you. I was looking for someone to say that. Luke believed that Jesus died for his own sins. Do you see that here in these verses? He believed that Jesus was making intercession in heaven for him. He believed in the mission of Jesus, right? Do you see that here? So if we were to apply that to us today, if we would say uh, the first section of Luke applied to me would be believing in the mission of Jesus, right? 
Am I fair in saying that? He's he's kind of mentioning that a little bit, isn't he? But let's look. He says, now he gives us a time frame from all the things that Jesus taught until the day he was taken up. Okay, that's a time frame, right? And the he through the Holy Spirit had given the commandments to the apostles he had chosen. That is a time frame, right? And then he says, to whom he also presented himself alive after his suffering, being seen by them for 40 days and speaking of things pertaining to the kingdom of God. What was that kingdom of God? When Jesus, when Jesus was on this earth, his whole mission was the kingdom of heaven is at hand, right? And what was his kingdom? Saving his people, right? So through this, you see the illusion of the whole mission statement of Jesus. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. And that encompasses the entire, that's like one sentence summary of the entire book of Luke. The mission statement of Jesus. Does that make more sense now? Are are you all following me now? Sorry, I didn't mean to jump ahead too fast. All right. So if we should say, believing in the mission of Jesus, let's look at verses 4 and 5 and see what we can learn from these now. Okay, so he's repeating Jesus' command now, right? He's saying, because this is all past tense, saying Jesus went and commanded them. What did Jesus tell his disciples to do? Wait for what? For the Holy Spirit, right? So could we say that would be number two? Like, just kind of like the thought that Luke's getting out of here? All right, let's see what's next. We have verses six and seven. Okay, so they said, God, Jesus, when are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Was that the right question? <laughs> no. <laughs> but I love Jesus' response. What was Jesus' response to the disciples? It's not for you to know the <laughs> time. All right? So he's really saying this to us too, isn't he? He says, don't worry about when. It's the what, okay? Yeah, forget about the when. It's not for you to know what time. Don't worry about when. As far as I'm concerned, it could be today, every day of my life, right? doesn't matter when. I've got work to do. Let's look at verse 8. And I'm going to split this verse in half. So I'm going to read the first half, and I'll ask someone else to read the second half later. Okay, so verse 8. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. What are we to do until that happens? We've already said wait. Pray and be ready, willing, available, right? Isn't that what what the disciples were supposed to do? Be ready to receive the Holy Spirit. Now, wait and be ready. I think of those as two different things, right? If I think of I'm waiting for something, I'm kind of just sitting here twiddling my thumbs, right? But to be ready, is that twiddling your thumbs too? No, there's some action in there, right? What do we have to do to be ready? Occupy till I come? Anybody else? 
What about when Jesus said, watch and pray, lest ye enter into temptation? Is that part of being ready? All right, let's look at the last half of the verse now. Someone want to read the half I didn't read? Verse 8. You shall be what? Witnesses. Where? Everywhere, right? I mean, he he says, start in Jerusalem, then Samaria, and then what? The uttermost parts of the whole earth, right? Okay, so we are to be witnesses everywhere, all right? Now let's go to verse 11. We know in verses 9 and 10, Jesus, while he's talking, he is taken up, right? He starts ascending into the clouds. And as he's like disappearing from view and the disciples are straining to see their last glimpse of him, two men are standing there, right? What did they say? Someone read verse 11. You know what's interesting? They brought something out in the lesson that I really, really never thought about. Did you notice how many men were standing there in white apparel? Two. Do you think there was some significance to the fact there was two? What did you guys learn? It was in the lesson. This is review. That was from Deuteronomy, right? In the mouth of two or three witnesses, let every matter be established. So what did God do? He sent two witnesses to say he will what? Come again. He will return. Yes. I love that. So with the, with this, we have an assurance of his return. Now there's more I'm going to get into, but we're going to pause our book of Acts here for just a second or the chapter of Acts 1. And I want to think about this for a minute. What is Luke trying to tell us? What do you see? Be sure, you know for a fact he's coming back. Be ready and be witnessing. You know, I want to stop and think about that one word that you said. Witnessing. You know, 35 years ago, 35 years ago in seven days, a non-earth-shattering event happened. <laughs> it was probably earth-shattering for, for two people, but not for the rest of the world, okay? I was born. And that day, I was given this piece of paper. Of course, I wasn't old enough to read it yet. I was only a day old. What my parents did, it says, Certificate of live birth. And on it, there's a few signatures. One says mother's signature. One says doctor's signature. And the other one says the registrar signature, who was the deputy. Those three people are the legal witnesses that I was born because they saw me be born, right? I have another document here. This one is from about nine and a half years ago, not quite nine and a half yet. This one says marriage license issued by the state of Washington. And There is two witnesses on here. One is 
the Stevens County Auditor, Tim Gray, and the other is Beverly Lamb, who is the deputy. And this was a license saying that Daniel and I were legal to get married. We had to get the license before we could have the wedding. Those two people were present there at the courthouse when we asked if we could get married, and they said okay, and they're the two that gave us permission. Okay? Got one more document here from two days later. This is actually the certificate of marriage. There's a few names on this, too. Of course, the parties involved. It's got Daniel's signature and my signature on it, right? It has the officiating clergyman, which is Pastor Sam Soler. And then it has two witnesses, David Armstrong. I think you've met him before. And Kimberly Cotomer. I think you've met her before, too. David and Kimberly were standing up there as witnesses on the day that Daniel and I got married. On the platform, David was best man, Kimberly was maid of honor. And they were the two legal witnesses that proved that we got married. Along with the officiating minister, who's the third. What do all these witnesses have in common? They were there, right? Tell you another story. This happened last week. I was sitting in the restaurant eating lunch with a customer. We were talking and this lady came in. She said, do you have a security camera on the front of your restaurant facing the road? I said, no, it's on our list of things to buy, but we don't have one yet. It's been on our list for about two years. She's like, I wish you had one. She's like, right here in front of your restaurant, a car pulled out in front of me. They had a stop sign. I didn't. They ran into my car, totaled it. The police came and did not write a correct report. And so my insurance is saying that it's my fault. And if she said, if you had had a security camera in front of your restaurant, I would have paid you good money for that footage to prove that I was not in fault and that and my insurance should not be the one paying for it or going up. One more. There's a man who, uh, he calls himself our security guy. Okay, he, he lives in the neighborhood and he has insomnia and so he walks the streets at night. Well, he used to walk. Now he has uh, blood clots in his legs. So he has a little uh, moped that he rides up and down the streets at night. And uh, he has a little flip phone, you know, one of those freebie ones. And uh, he uses it to take pictures if he sees any burglars breaking into any of the businesses on the street that he goes up and down on. And uh, there have been times, believe it or not, that he has actually got a picture of a thief. And he has gone to court with that little flip phone cell phone and appeared as a witness with his picture. That little tiny square picture that's, you know, so grainy and not really decipherable has held up in court against more than one thief in our neck of the woods here in Main Street, Whitley City. So why am I going on and on about witnesses? So if witnesses are that important, Jesus says, you are my, what? Witnesses, right? So if 
I am God's witness, what do I have to be in order to be his witness? Like, if we look at the witnesses, the 12 disciples, they they saw Jesus, right? They walked with him in person. But, yeah, they knew him. Like, they lived with him for three years, like, day and night. I mean, they knew everything about him. They watched him die, okay? They were witness that he was actually on the cross. They helped bury him. You know, they, they were witness that he was actually dead and in the grave, right? And then they witnessed the empty tomb. And then they saw Jesus, right, for 40 days. And then they watched him go up in the air. I mean, that what you can't get better witnesses than that. But how can I be a witness? I didn't live then. I didn't live with Jesus. I didn't walk with him for three years. How can I be a witness? I didn't see him die. I didn't see him raised from the dead. I didn't see him go to heaven. Okay, the power of the Holy Spirit. Glenn and then Jim. I love that. Is that what you were going to say? What God has done in my personal life. Okay, I want to go to the one more section, Acts. Think, hold that thought in your head, okay? I'm going to go to one more verse section in Acts. Let's look, skip down to verses 21 and 22. Verses 21 and 22. And uh, the story that ensues between the verses where we stopped and where this these verse start. The disciples are waiting right now. They've done everything that God has said, okay? They believe in the mission of Jesus. They're waiting for the Holy Spirit. They're not worrying about when, but they're ready any day. And they say, okay, we have a problem. There's only 11 of us. We need a 12th apostle to replace Judas. So let's talk about the qualifications of who could be that 12th apostle. And we find them here in these verses. Someone read verse 21 and 22. What's the qualifications that they needed for their 12th apostle? Okay, so they had two qualifications in order to be the 12th apostle. What were they? Number one, he had to be with Jesus for the same amount of time that they'd been with him, approximately. He'd had to been with Jesus for the whole three and a half years. Okay, what was the other one? They had to be a witness of his resurrection. They actually had to see him die see the empty tomb, and see him after. Yeah, that, that, that's a pretty stiff uh, regulation, right? So if we were to look at those, we're going to put this as number seven. They had to have, and I'm going to put it for us, because all this is for us today, right? They had to have a personal experience with Jesus and witness his resurrection. So they had to have a personal experience with Jesus and witness his resurrection. So would you say that today, that would be good qualifications for a church leader? I know this was the qualification of the 12 disciples, but would you say that this would be good qualifications for a church leader, whether it be an elder, a deacon, or pastor, or anybody in leadership in our church? Yeah? You think? But how could we witness his resurrection? I wasn't there. The resurrection power in our life. Yes. If I have experienced God's power in changing my life, do I have witness of his resurrection power? Isn't that what baptism is? It's a symbol of death to self and resurrection in new life, right? Because I have experienced that resurrection power to change me. 
And as such, I am a personal witness of his resurrection. And I can share it with my own personal testimony. Is that what a witness is? What's your story? Are you a witness today? If someone asked you about Jesus, could you give them your personal experience and make it real in such a way that they could not argue with you at all? So tell us, tell us, what would you say to that person?